The Guardian. The outskirts of Krakow. This building was the uh, main building, uh, still works. Marcin Baniak has watched the area change like the rest of Poland. But now this is uh, it's a part of great international uh, firm. So how did the financial crash of 2008 affect him? It was easy for us because we just kept on buying things. I remember some politics uh, uh, saying that uh, this is the best way to avoid all problems. And uh, the great success of uh, Tusk's government was not to intervene. So what turned out to be sound advice for Marcin Baniak and his family from the Polish government in reaction to the world economic crisis? Poland's experience of the last five years couldn't be more different from the rest of the European Union. It was the only country that managed to escape recession. In fact, the economy grew by 5% in 2008 throughout the financial crash, and it's continued to do so since, albeit a bit more slowly. I'm John Henley, and in this final Focus podcast as part of The Guardian's Europe season, we'll be discussing how Poland has managed to weather a world financial storm and what the country needs to do to continue growing. And a year on from the plane crash which resulted in the death of President Lech Kaczynski, we'll be asking how this tragedy has affected the Polish national identity. Joining me are, then, Matteo Napolitano, who's a senior analyst for Eastern Europe at the Economist's Intelligence Unit, the London-based correspondent for the Polish press agency, Andrzej Svidlicki, and on the line from Warsaw is Chris Babinski from the Unia and Polska Foundation, a pro-European think tank. Welcome, all of you. Um, it's certainly good. We should start off by saying to end this series on a positive economic story, very different from the others that we've been hearing over the last three weeks. We've just heard from Marcin there, who seems resolutely upbeat and confident in how the Polish government has handled the economy. Um, Chris, can we start with you? Around the time of the financial crash, how aware do you think people were in Poland that it was actually happening? How, how was it being talked about? Um, people weren't very very aware. P Poland sees itself very, a little bit, little bit on the margins of what is going on in the world and uh, feels it really isn't uh, completely involved, which is true. P Poland's um, uh, foreign trade is not that big in relation to other countries, say like Germany, um, and therefore this, this didn't translate. Also, the banks are not as sophisticated as Western banks, and therefore they didn't actually go into all these fantastic um, new schemes that uh, contributed to the crisis. So Poland, th there was an, uh, an awareness that something was going on in the world, but it really didn't uh, seem to affect people, especially as, as the economy um, was rumbling along. Andre? Well, if I may add uh, one or two things. Uh, I think two factors played an important role. The fact that Polish politicians did not play golf with the bankers, <laughs> as in Ireland, but this may still change. Poland is also developing market for golf and other uh, fancy sports. And the other thing was that, uh, as, as Chris said, that Polish banking sector was relatively underdeveloped, but uh, should the crisis strike 
a year or two later, perhaps we would be more affected because there were already signs of property bubble developing in Poland. Can, 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 can I also add that remember that Poland is a major beneficiary of EU funds, money kept on coming in from the EU and that, that, that helped to buy growth as well. Hmm. Okay, Matteo, uh, economically, can you say a little bit about the, the, the sort of the fallout of the crash in Poland? I mean, in some ways, it's it's true to say that there was actually a, a kind of a positive fallout from what was happening in countries around Poland. Is that, is that true? Well, um, first of all, I, I, not to throw a spanner in the works or anything, it's, uh, it's you know, there there is a bit of a, or a fly in the ointment or anything like that, but Poland did experience uh, positive growth in 2009 when, where everywhere else was being laid waste. But we should also note that growth fell from something like 6% to 1 1.5%, 1.7%. So there is a sort of differential argument to take into account. So uh, people must have felt this um, to some extent. Uh, there some was extent. a squeeze, yeah. Yes, yeah. there was some squeeze. Um, and also to note that unlike other Central European countries, Poland was, and this may have been more by accident than by design, uh, it did not develop the same sort of um, trade-oriented uh, economic growth model, such as, you know, for instance, in the Czech Republic or in Slovakia, wh- which means that, it, and as Chris pointed out already, it was not exposed to the, the trade winds as, uh, as other countries were. And also an interesting f- uh, fact that um, is often overlooked in the discourse is that um, the, the export base in Poland is much more diversified. Poland, for, in- for instance, exports a lot of uh, food processing products okay. to, uh, to Germany, which did not suffer as much as others during the crisis. Hmm. Hmm, that's interesting. And now, is it true also that there was actually a knock-on effect that worked out well in Poland from, for example, I mean, I understand there was a, ger- a subsidy for German cars, which actually had led to some kind yeah, of it did, it did a because, boom um, in Polish car It did, line. because um, as I understand it, the um, German car purchase incentives did not have limitations on where the cars should be bought, which means that a lot of Germans went over the border to buy them in Poland. Uh, as to the, you know, the actual impact of that, it, it, you know, it caught the, a lot of headlines. But it's a very it's nice a kind anecdote. Of, it's, yeah, <laughs> it's, it's, it's more kind anecdotal, of a, right? but I think maybe I mean, at the Berlin, margin. Berlin shooting itself in the foot yeah. a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, I think we should be very grateful to Mrs. Merkel because she knew this was happening and yet she said, okay, that's fine. That's uh, that's okay. She didn't sort of cut off. She couldn't actually cut off imports of cars from Poland. But the GM plant in Gliwice, which is a very, a very productive, it's a very efficient plant because it's one of the newest of, of GM's plants, uh, was working flat out and, and also, <laughs> working uh, three shifts. Also, the bleakest scenario did not materialize. The people were afraid that foreign banks will start to withdraw capital from Poland, starving the Polish enterprises of credit. But th- this did not happen. The bankers did not vote with their feet. So this this is also an important aspect. That's interesting. Yeah, interesting. Um, Andre, what, what was the... I mean, let's move on a little bit from the actual couple of years of the, of the real crisis. Um, look now at the social effect of, of what's happening now. You, you mentioned right at the beginning that the story of this sort of mass migration, and Chris too, mass migration of, of Poles to the rest of Europe during the boom times. That's obviously very well documented. Now, you know, there there is a return home to a, to a certain extent at least. How's that going? How are those people reintegrating? Is it causing problems? Well, immigration is obviously a big issue. As Chris noted, the two million mostly young people 
emigrated and they will not contribute to pension fund in Poland. And also the big unknown is how many people will migrate to Germany once the German market is opened as from the 1st of May. According to some estimates, it's between 300 and 500,000 people. Yeah, of course, Britain thought, uh, Britain radically underestimated the number of Poles that would arrive here when, when it opened up. They did certainly. And uh, obviously, the, this this affects the demography. This affects the pension system. This affects uh, social attitudes. This this affects uh, the chances, the opportunities that one has in life. It's 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 very important issue. Mm. Chris, I mean, on the ground there, um, poles returning home. What has been their their experience? Are, are, is it easy for them to to settle back in? Can they find work? easily again or, or has it is it posing problems you know if someone comes back in a way they tend to keep quiet about it because they feel maybe they haven't it hasn't worked out for them the decision to emigrate has, hasn't worked out and they've come back so it's failure so so let's let's not really talk about it um they have somewhere to live as well they have homes to go back to so it, it's it, this is not a, a big issue um what I'd like to say is that um, having said that everything went well of the crisis, um, the government made big play with this, saying that um, the uh, growth in the 2009 was the only country with growth. It was a green island where everywhere else was despair and dejection, and here Poland was doing very well. But actually that led to complacency, and Poland... Uh, the Polish, uh, the, the budget was spending, uh, I think that uh, Western observers were saying the budget spending was much too high in, in, in that year and the years before. Now that is a problem. There is a, there is a budget crisis. Uh, Poland, the Polish constitution has a cap on, on, on the amount of the deficit there can be. The, the government is at that limit. It's, uh, it's, it's reaching into people's pension funds, which is a mammoth row in Poland at the moment. It's now very much up against the wall because it has to make cuts and it has also has to win an election this autumn. So, so there is a problem. And, and there was a little bit too much complacency in preening saying, well... Yeah, it's it's still not clear to me as you know as, as someone who who follows uh, uh, Polish economic policy on a sort of day to day basis what what exactly the government intends to do to is there is there a risk of Poland you know heading into a a, a crunch two three years after everybody else then again everything hinges on what's going to happen after the election what it seems I mean the consensus seems to be that uh, Mr Tusk and the PO will will still be in power. Uh, it remains to be seen who they will be, who will they sh- share power with. Will it be the the peasants' party again, or will it be someone else? It, regardless who it is, it'll be someone who's more who has a more statist economic policy bent than they do, uh, which means that um, I don't see I don't really see any radical measures taking place even after the election. So you know the the, the risk of complacency is there, and it, you know there is the risk of a crunch uh, a couple of years after one. Can I just stay with you very briefly? We've talked about Polish exports. We talked about the sort of a fairly immature banking system, which might have contributed to sort of Poland's resilience. Um, We haven't mentioned um, really another factor, which is the sort of the strength of the Polish internal market. Is is that worth dwelling on for a second? This is actually, you know, the the government claims credit for, uh, for its handling of 
of the, the uh, of the crisis, and to to some extent, they're right. But uh, the, one of the main reasons why the consumer was so uh, resilient in 2009 is because of the, the of personal income tax cuts that went into effect at the beginning of the year, and had actually been uh, had actually been set forth by the previous government, the much maligned Kaczynski. It was it was a bit fortuitous, and and that's that's why consumer spending was so strong in 2009 it kind of propped up the economy so there is there is much truth to this this part of the Strength story of whereby the internal market, the internal market yeah. is one of the factors that saved Poland through the crisis okay well let's move on um, we we've spoken about how Poland's grown domestically but um, it's worth thinking also I think about how the country is positioning itself in Europe and and what what, that, what impact that might have on its future let's hear again from Marcin of course, we are very happy that we are a member of uh, European Union. It was one of the greatest thing uh, in our history. You know, it may be our uh, very important role in Europe to connect, you know, Western with the East, because uh, we are here in this part of Europe between Germany and Russia. So we can be something like a um, uh, bridge. Andre, clearly from that, you know, Poland is carving out some kind of role for itself and making a virtue of the fact that it's on the edge of Europe, sandwiched between sort of continental Europe and, and, and particularly Russia. How's the country been managing its relationship with Russia and is that changing in any way? Well, the rela- relations with Russia are always difficult. They are not only difficult for Poland, but also for the Guardian. They are also difficult. <laughs> for pretty much <laughs> not, everybody. Yeah. Not to say about the British government, who, who would very much like to normalize the relations after the Litvinenko case, but it's still unable to. Under the previous government, Poland's foreign policy was much more proactive in um, area the Russians consider they near abroad, especially Ukraine and Georgia. Uh, Poland thought of itself as uh, advocate of those countries, but uh, at the end it turned out that those countries don't really need any intermediaries. So the Polish expectations were, were exorbitant in this, in this respect. But uh, extraordinary things happen. I mean, you have... Uh, Poland, Russia and Germany in the same sceptical camp uh, on Libya. Yeah. This is unthinkable. And uh, France... Intriguing alliances being yes, formed. It's, yeah. uh, this Let's just move it, Chris. I'm interested to hear from you. Um, I mean, that's, that's looking east, if you like, looking west. Any particular bones of contention between Poland and the, and the EU? Well, just just to come back slightly on, on to, the, to the Russian point, the, the the government which came in in 2007, the present government, decided it was going to make an effort to improve relations with Russia because it felt that, that would improve its standing with the Western European countries inside the European Union. It felt that the previous government had taken Poland out on a limb and now it wanted to be more like uh, Germany and France, etc., etc. In the meantime, Germany became more abrasive about Russia. So actually, Poland has now find itself in an off- found itself in an offside trap, where it's kind of found itself being kind to to Mr. Putin, and and the Germans uh, are, are much less kind at the moment. But anyway, um, as as for issues with with the European Union, well, there are a couple. One is climate change policy, where the Polish government feels that uh, the EU, EU's climate change policy is designed to destroy Pol- the Polish economy. Because Poland is is um, its fuel production is based on coal, 
there is a problem with the eurozone poland is not in the euro but would like to be consulted on the things that are happening inside the eurozone and that comes back to the um the economic issue uh, can poland get itself into shape to get into the euro within the foreseeable future to become a credible partner in, in, in the eurozone discussion interesting um mateo it's very clear isn't it that there's a massive amount of potential in poland is there anything that's holding the country back now? Are there, are there sort of infrastructure issues or, a, you know, a, a sort of a, a relationship to risk that might be just breaking things? Well, um, again, going back to the public finances, which seems to be kind of the crux of the, of the matter at the moment. Um, basically, uh, Poland has pledged to the European Union to reduce its, uh, its budget deficit by... Three percent, two three percent of GDP from an exorbitant, well, you know, exorbitant, well, high level of eight percent currently, uh, and this is having a knock-on effect on infrastructure investment because, yeah, you know, it's a, it's a truism that uh, public capital investment is usually the first area to suffer when uh, when austerity is, is needed because it's less politically contentious. And a, um, a month ago, I think the, the government announced that it would be building. A, a lot less roads and uh, a lot less infrastructure than it was planning to. Mm. So this uh, this will inevitably slow development because Poland is a is a big country and needs you know you need roads and the road system is well known uh, across Europe uh, as being pretty shoddy. So yeah. okay, let's uh, Andre briefly well, maybe maybe just one or two points. The the two things that hold the country back is the. Uh, low participation in the workforce, uh, which uh, is a well-known weakness of Poland's economy. People who should be economically active are not active, although they are in productive age, which means that either they are on, on, on incapacity benefit or, or they are on early retirement. And the second factor is that there's uh, insufficient transmission between universities and industry. The universities should be more... Uh, research orientated they should propose solutions for the industry to implement and this is not really happening the universities are still uh, traditional learning centers mm. okay let's let's just yeah sorry move on if we can um yeah i want to look now at the obviously a, a, a very i mean a key moment in in recent polish history and it's effects on on the country today. It's almost a year ago now since the plane crash that uh, resulted in the death of President Lech Kaczynski. Let's hear a report from the time. The plane came down in fog in these woods on the approach to the airport in Smolensk after apparently making several attempts to land. The Russian authorities say it hit the treetops before breaking up and they claimed that the pilot disregarded advice to land elsewhere because of the conditions. In Warsaw, the presidential palace immediately became the focal point of a nation in mourning. Throughout the day, people have gathered there to lay flowers and pay tribute to the victims of the tragedy. I came here to light a candle because the best president we've ever had has died. It's true. It's a great shock because the elite of our nation went there to remember the dead from 70 years ago. And right now, Poland is really in trouble. We're all in shock. Andre, clearly, I mean, a, a tragic and, and momentous moment. How did it actually, looking back now, affect the, the Polish people? And what was the impact on, on political stability? Well, obviously, it had a powerful effect because it uh, touched on, uh, because of its symbolism and the circumstances in which the president died, 
uh, assumed almost mythological dimension. And also it was important because it played into, t into stereotypes in Polish-Russian relations that uh, Poles always got a bad deal from Russia, you cannot trust them and so on, so on. So this was very important. On the other hand, uh, Lech Kaczyński was not a very popular politician. He was divisive and controversial and he would lost elections had he uh, stayed in power. So any suggestion that there was some sinister play or plot involved are well off the mark in my view, but still the opposition in Poland tries to play up this issue to create a martyr. Well, I'm not sure. Yeah. I mean, this is the beaten dog syndrome. It's, you know, that Poland always gets a bad deal, a raw deal. Um, the, the, and the number of people who... I mean, it's been a field day for the conspiracy theorists and the the um the, the right wing the, the law and justice the pis party really their constituency is quite convinced that it was the russians who did it and but the other painful truth is that that maybe the pilots did not uh, do as good a job as possible and that maybe they, they were at fault and maybe they were under pressure or they weren't under pressure but basically the, the accident showed a lot of flaws in 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 the way the um the Air Force trains its people, and uh, remember that we've had actually we did there was a crash a couple of years before where a large part of the Air Force command were also killed coming back from a conference. Um, so there is a lot to be done, and the whole controversy over Russian responsibility, etc., has allowed, in a sense, has moved the debate away from from the flaws of training and the flaws of, of how the, the Air Force and how the armed forces are um, are conducted. Yeah. Okay, um, I want to look at one other important area, quite a unique one to Poland, I think, certainly in terms of the four countries that we've been looking at in this series. Poland, obviously, very much a country in transition. Um, communism ended 20 years ago, more or less. And since then, the church has played a peculiarly important role. Let's hear first from Marcin. Times have changed, you know. There are different um, conditions, uh, I hope that the Polish church won't be involved in politics, in, in political you know, conflicts. Um, sometimes uh, priests and bishops uh, take a part in this political life, and that's wrong, in my opinion. Matteo, let's start with you. Is it, is it possible to speak of, a, of an economic influence on the part of the church? Looking at things from the outside, I... I it seems to me like the, the influence of the church is mostly political. And it's not a unique thing in, in Europe. You know, you have countries like Ireland and and Italy, from where, where I'm from, where uh, the church plays a, a very big role, sometimes covert, sometimes overt. Um, in in, in po Poland's case, it, it seems it's the... the the, shall we call them the extremist fringes, uh, the arch-conservative fringes of the, of the church seem to be more active. Oh, Andre, well, I would say that the church is one of the losers uh, in the transition. That's, uh, obviously, the current uh, transition is in many respects worse for the church than uh, communism was, the censorship and surveillance. 
the church is not really equipped to function in a pluralistic democratic society when you have to engage into dialogue. You cannot really authoritatively say that uh, this is right, this is wrong. You have to have arguments, you have to persuade people. It's a, it's a game changer. And uh, there's really a vacuum left after the, the John Paul II. Mm. Chris, is the role of the church declining? Well, it's certainly coping badly with modernity, as it were. I mean, it's very difficult in, in Polish politics to win a, a, an election at the constituency level if you don't have the neutrality or the support of the of the local parish priest. I mean, it's not. This is people do tend to listen to him, and this is a great part of the PIS uh, um, position in Poland is because they do have the local clergy behind them. But this is this is a wider issue. It's a, it's a, it's an issue of, of the transformation and actually what has happened. If you think about it, Poland uh, has had an enormous has changed in the last 20 years. The Poland of, of 30 years ago is completely different to the Poland of now in terms of freedom of speech, freedom of travel. Young people cannot imagine what it was like to have queues without empty shops. It's just unimaginable and they've, they've forgotten a lot. Now, if you're 20 at the moment, you have lived all your life in a free Poland. If you're 40 at the moment, you've lived the whole of your life, in your adult life in a free Poland. And um, these people would like to see more change in Poland, and it's it's not happening. It's the actually the people who who would have been fighting for change have have all left, and the, the two million who are now abroad, they've changed countries as opposed to changing their own country. There isn't that kind of pressure on the government, and the government has become very conservative. We touched on this a little earlier. Um, this government, which was a free free market government, is now moving more to status positions, and there really isn't a party which is saying to the young people, "We will take you." off into the future. Well, let's look at that a little bit, because we're coming to the end of the podcast now, but this is obviously a, a, a very, very important point. Um, let's look forward now. Let's project ourselves maybe 10 years into into the future um, and think about the fact that, you know, at the moment, obviously, we have a generation of leaders who, as you say, Chris, lived through communism. But in 10 years' time, maybe, those in office will, will have had, as you say, a completely different life. So in that respect, what impact will that fact have on the way Poland is run? Mateo first. Well, first of all, I, I, there's a risk 10 years from now of a, a two-speed Poland. Uh, that's That shouldn't be discounted at all. Um, the, the east of the country is still quite, uh, the regions closest to the, to the former Soviet Union are still quite, uh, shall we say, backward in economic terms. So um, the, the governments in power uh, in the next ten years need to uh, they need to implement uh, economic policies to to kind of pull the east of the country back uh, and you know allow it to converge with a more developed west. Um, and also, well, ten years from now, perhaps I see some sort of green shoots of changing attitudes. Uh, on the fringes, especially the, the, the uh, a maverick member of the PO, uh, uh, Janusz Palikot, formed his own party. He's considered a bit of a you know a bit, a, 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 you know a bit of a loose cannon, in a, and he has definitely far more social liberal, uh, socially liberal attitudes towards abortion, towards uh, homosexuality. Um, a couple of months ago, or last month, I believe, uh, a PO deputy who made a very off-color uh, homophobic remark was severely chastised. So these could be signs of changing attitudes. And and in economic terms, perhaps more of a knowledge economy. Um, Andre was um, mentioning how uh, there's very little link between businesses and universities. There are there are clusters forming. There, I think Wroclaw, in Wroclaw and, and Krakow, there's a there are cloud computing centers done in conjunction with IBM and other technology companies that are coming through. So that might be a sign of things to come. Andre. 
Well, we have to be careful to avoid the Portuguese and the Greek scenario because the Portuguese were also flushed with the EU funds. They built beautiful bridges, roads, but uh, there's nowhere to go uh, except into deeper and deeper austerity to restore competitiveness. And also we have to avoid the Greek scenario. They had an excellent pension system, but it turned out to be unaffordable. Uh, the danger is that the present political establishment is too pleased with itself. Uh, and always when the politician is too pleased with himself, this is the, the sign that his time is up. Uh, and uh, also the long-term challenge is to prevent Poland from becoming uh, a marginalized country, to, to put it unflatteringly. Uh, becoming the EU client state. So obviously uh, any suggestion of two-speed Europe is very dangerous for Poland. Poland. Chris, finally and briefly, if you could then, are you optimistic? I'm optimistic because I, I feel that it, the, the, the young people will begin to take over. There's a mismatch between the young people who are running, already running the businesses and the banks, but 30-year-olds, 40-year-olds are in, in senior positions in, in, in the economic sectors, and the politicians, uh, the 60-year-olds, are stuck firmly in the past. We also have this problem of, of, of the, the electorate, of the, the constituency of the PIS, the Law and Justice Party, who are a kind of mental East Germany where they hanker after the past before 1989, where at least, at least things were clear. It was us and them. We, the patriots, them, the communists, and everything was clear. And the church also contributes to that because they were in a very good position then because they had a monopoly, actually, on, on the way people thought, and they held consumerism at arm's length. So actually, they were doing very well. Now they're getting completely lost. So all these things will work through, and it's a generational thing. And, and the thing to look out for is, is whether we get political leaders uh, from this younger generation. Who are in tune with the aspirations of them. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. And it, we we could, we, we could do with those two million coming back, actually, because they would help to get this generational change uh, under steam. OK, well, we'll have to leave it there. Thank you all very much indeed. That's the end then of this final podcast in the Guardian's Europe Focus series. My thanks really to Chris Babinski, who's been with us on the line from Warsaw, Andrei Svidlicki here in London and Matteo Napolitano. Thank you very much indeed. Producer of this podcast was Vivienne Perry. As always, thank you very much to her. I'm John Henley, and thank you very much for listening. For more great downloads, go to guardian.co.uk forward slash audio.